This is the Tactical Leader Podcast, where we're on a journey of self-mastery and true leadership. I believe that in order to lead others, you must first be able to lead yourself. And in order to lead yourself, you have to first know yourself. If you want to learn the tactics to get to know yourself, to lead yourself, and to lead others, stay tuned to hear from industry experts as I unpack the tactics that they've used to build their business, build culture, and lead others. We are here to, one, bring awareness and offer help to anybody seeking a little bit more development in the confidence space, but really to focus in on how do we help small businesses and small business owners from the veteran space join forces, because we are only as powerful as our forces combined. So we really want to make sure that we acknowledge any veterans in the room first and foremost. So if you are a veteran, Wave your hand up in the air. Round of applause for our veterans. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Woo! Yes, so awesome. Thank you, guys. I guess we're going to give Zach a night off. He's normally here at these things, but he's lame, so whatever. (laughs) We will not say nice things about him the rest of the night. That was all he gets. Uh, But I do really appreciate your time so very much. I realize that time is the only commodity you cannot get more of. So the fact that you are here sharing it with us, I am super, super grateful. I am super grateful to Six Bridges Brewing for allowing us this amazing space and letting us share it with them. And for any of our guests that didn't know they were going to be a part of this, thanks for being here too. (laughs) No, but in all seriousness, guys, I own a business called Curating Confidence and I focus on making sure that people feel their most confident selves from the inside out, utilizing style as a tool and really focusing in on the mindset piece and how that collaborates with the veteran space is with ATL Vets, they focus on four pillars, movement, money, mindset, and marketing, which leads me to the other shout out right here, Nate in the back, Social Pro Video, Hollywood of Small Businesses. Thank you for being here. So I am the mindset piece, helping people really develop self-confidence, develop positive mindset, set themselves up for the best in their life and in their businesses. So I host a monthly workshop as well. So definitely talk to me about getting plugged into that. If that interests you once a month as well, go a little bit deeper into the content in those workshops. And then we follow up once a month with the mixers, elaborating on that. So in my last workshop, I talked about assessments and I will get into why I brought this lovely guest who I will um, bring in just a moment. But we talked about personal confidence. And I had an assessment that I had the attendees run through, breaking down confidence into four areas. And those areas being overall self-image, trust in your abilities, intentional communication and boundary setting, and external image and style acumen. And these are the areas that I really focus in on my clients because they're the areas that touch all of our lives, whether it be in personal or in business if we're aware of where our weak points are, how we can improve upon them. So this kind of is an extension of that conversation. And bringing in this amazing guy right here, if you do not know him, S.A. Grant, the boss uncaged, all things growth strategy and marketing, stroke survivor. I think this guy's got a hell of a story. His mind works like nobody I've ever seen before. So you guys are in for a real treat and I will bring him in just a second. But I want to share a quick story with you. So when I was 25, 
I was interviewing for a job as a house parent for a teen girl's home at a children's shelter. And the first thing they had me do in this interview was the first thing they had was take an assessment, a personality assessment. And I thought, this is silly. But what it did was it allowed them to establish their candidates in personality of what was the most common personality for success in that industry. Because it's a very nuanced industry, as you can imagine. A lot of high stress. It takes a lot of patience, a lot of nurturing. But you have to be able to deal with high stress situations really fast. And when they were explaining that to me and how they look for these certain personalities to bring in candidates, and then on top of that, it tells them where they need to train their employees when they get them onboarded. And I was like, oh my goodness. Wow, like what a cool use of assessments. Like I'd taken some in college, but it was just like, oh yeah, that's cool. And then you never do anything with it. And you're like, yeah, I'm orange. It means I'm adventurous. Then what do you do with that, right? But it was like that first aha moment for me. Assessments are powerful. Knowledge is powerful. We have knowledge in our hand every single day, 24-7. Does that mean we all utilize it well? So knowledge is only as good as we then implement that knowledge. And where that job fell short was they didn't actually ever train me. (laughs) I just got thrown into the fire and I then was lacking the skills I really needed. Have any of you guys ever taken an assessment where you were like, oh, that's so cool. And then nobody ever did anything with it. And you're like, "Mm, cool. Yeah. So that's what we're here to talk about. How assessments make our lives better. How we can utilize them to grow confident, more confident in our skills. How we can use them to assess our teams as leaders to develop more confidence in our teams. And then how do we develop strategies to really implement them? So without further ado, S.A. Grant, give him a big round of applause. Thanks for being here. Okay, so I cannot do you justice in the intro because, guys, he's a phenomenal human. And so I really want you to elaborate first and foremost a little about all that you do and that you share your gifts with the world. And I need a drink. The way I usually summarize it is that I'm a brand and growth strategist. And usually I get the deer in the headlight look. And that makes perfect sense because nobody knows what the hell a brand strategist and a growth strategist does. So the best way to think about it is if you are a CEO or an executive level and you're thinking about all the elements of the company, what do you want the company to do? Where is your shuffles? What are you looking for? How do you market? That's all folding into the growth strategy aspect of it. Now, the brand aspect is more so marketing. And I always say, if you have a brand and you're not wearing your brand, you're doing yourself complete disservice. You put both those worlds together, that defines who I am and what I do. I would like to also acknowledge that his brand color is purple. You're welcome. (laughs) It was very intentional, guys. No, um, in all seriousness, thank you again for being here. So I really just want to touch the surface right now on assessments as a whole. Do you feel like they can help foster confidence in your life? And if so, how do they foster in both personal and professional life? I would say yes. So when she originally asked the question, maybe three, you raised your hands. In reality, everyone should raise their hands because I want you to think about it from this standpoint. Do any of you own a home? Do you own a car? Have you went to school? In every aspect and everything that I just said, you were assessed. You couldn't buy a $10 million house if you didn't fit those requirements. 
you couldn't buy a Lamborghini if you didn't fit those requirements. And you sure as hell probably couldn't get into Harvard if you didn't fit those requirements. So you have to understand every aspect of your life is being assessed, period. Whether you're in the game or you're not in the game. Once you realize that you're in the game, now you have an opportunity to modify, change, and adapt and bend the rules, kind of like Neo in The Matrix. Yeah. So actually, one of the guests here tonight, Dennis, brought up a good point earlier, too. He was just like, as a small business owner, putting out proposals for projects, he has to first go assess that project and and put out a proposal. And so even from a point of whether you're taking the assessment or utilizing the assessment to do your job better, we are implementing these things every single day. And so being aware of them and utilizing them to benefit you in a really powerful way, I think, is is the point, right? So in overall, with assessments, how would you say you would utilize them to assess abilities and really craft what you need to be doing as an individual, whether it be for a personal choice or professional, utilizing assessment to bring awareness to your abilities and talents? So to tell a story, right, um, in my background, I probably held, I don't know, probably 36 different random titles in my career, right? And I know that seems astronomical, but in reality, it's not if you build a system to do this. So I want you to think if you're an insurance agent, as an insurance agent, you're going to have to essentially recruit more team members, right? So I want you to remember this acronym, TEAMS. Sounds easy enough, right? I want you to think about the T. The T means teachers, Every team needs a teacher to teach the rest of the team members, right? E is excited. There's always going to be the class clown, the asshole, the jerk, the, the smart ass in the group. He is the person that's going to keep everyone's morale above par, right? A is for ambitious. If you don't have ambition in that team, that team is going to fail. M is for money motivated, right? And look at it as money motivated managers. They're really good with numbers. They're really good with managing things. And ideally, they just want to get paid to do that. And last but not least is sales, S. So if you're building an organization, everything I just said should be in that organization by default. So how do you easily define who is going to fill those roles? So a question that I used to use, which sounds way left field and it would throw people off all the time, would be... Shocker. Yes. (laughs) If you were a superhero, who would it be and why? And I'm telling you the numbers, like majority of people, let's say 40% of them would fall into a characteristic of Batman or some variation of Batman. The other 40% is going to fall into Superman or Wonder Woman, right? Then you have your random people that's going to say Jesus, their grandmother, and other random anomalies that have nothing to do with superheroes whatsoever, okay? And then you have like a smaller group that may pick a random superhero that you actually heard of, but you don't know what the hell their superpowers are. And they have to explain it to you. The moral of the story is your Batman and your Superman. Your Superman falls into your super ambitious people by default. Okay? If you don't believe me, try it. Think about anyone that you know that's super ambitious and ask them if they could be a superhero, who are they going to be? Nine out of ten times, it's probably going to be a godlike individual. Batman's beauty is that he is a regular person without superpowers and he's willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done. And keep in mind, he's wealthy, but that wealth does not define who he is, right? So you have two polar opposites. And if you put both those polar opposites on the same team, they will work together, much like 
which you see in the comic book movies that you see today with Batman and Superman working together, right? So it's a really quick way to identify the characteristics of an individual based upon what you think they would be good at in that team. So you could have a sales team and you could have a teacher in that sales team. You could have a smart ass in that sales team. You could have somebody that's overly ambitious. You could have somebody that's really money motivated all in that one team. So you look at micro teams and using that same formula, step and repeat. Does that make sense? Does anybody ever try to stump you with their superhero? Like, I'm going to prove you wrong. Jesus. <laughs> so they just have a God complex? <laughs> well, no, not. they usually fall into moral religion and, and, and stuff along those lines. And to be honest with you, if you take religion out of the equation, they're like in far right field. Like they're not in the common denominator of a team currently. So, so I, I think just like utilizing this to understand how we can craft better businesses, understanding who or what players we're bringing onto the team and why like so many companies have gotten on board to doing assessments, but where they're falling short is once they do the assessment, how are they then implementing those findings. So can you talk to us about implementation strategies? You are the strategist master. So from a standpoint of, okay, so we've got all this data, we've taken this assessment, we found out all this information. How do you then set up a strategy to really implement it well, either for a personal use or a business, if you're working with clients or just in your own life? Well, going back to the example of teams, the reality is the only way you can really get successful and scale is to have a reliable team. So like with my team, the first person that I really found that was key was another ambitious person. And that ambitious person then works really well with somebody that's a money-motivated manager. By default, those two individuals are going to do whatever it takes to make sure that the numbers are met, the deadlines are met, and that they get paid. Everything else falls in line after that. So that's like a real simple way of looking at it, but you have to look at the data. You want to look at if you're going to interview 10 people and you ain't going to hire four people, well, what four do you really need? And if you don't have ambition on your team to lead or you don't have a manager to lead, then the reality, you just have headless people trying to figure things out. So from a standpoint, like when I work with clients in, in implementation strategies, so I, I utilize assessments with my clients walking in, whether I'm working with a team and a company or with an individual I can't help them develop self-confidence if I don't first understand where they're lacking self-confidence. Self-confidence is such a multidimensional concept. And most people really don't, like you ask them, like, are you confident? And they'll either tell you yes or no. But then if you ask them a specific, they don't, they don't know how to take it further than that. There's such a misconception that confidence is this emotion that you feel instead of a skill you can develop. And, and I think that's where I like to, to bring awareness in with some of these uh, assessments is how do I help you pinpoint the areas of improvement that you could make in your self-confidence and then align them with the areas that you are actually trying to achieve in your life? What are your goals? And we're going to focus on that piece first. So if somebody is talking to me about the fact that they just got a promotion and they're now having to do a lot more presentations at work, but they're terrified of public speaking, we're going to go in and we're going to hone in on that piece of their self-confidence, on intentional communication. 
and showing up. Not everybody that's going to be the case they need. So utilizing for me in my scenario, utilizing these is super helpful to first bring awareness, but then how do I help implement them as strategies within their needs and their goals for their personal life or their business? So I really appreciate that. Now, something you do great, and this is definitely a weak point for me, is data collection. I have never seen somebody have data collected like this guy and to be able to put it into a format that I can take that data and go use it somewhere. (laughs) So from a standpoint of you have the assessment, you put strategies with goals in place, how do you then utilize this to create um, awareness around growth and setting goals? That's kind of difficult, difficult questions to answer, right? So if you're talking about taking the data, there's so much things that you can do with data. And I mean, again, like everything in this world runs on data completely. So once you figure out, and again, this, just give me, give me a random example. Like just do a live example of like, like a, a business. Like. So, ooh. so I guess, okay, where they're making mile markers in like assessment of from their bosses, taking assessments of their what is the word I'm looking for? Like their work progress, right? Okay. So each quarter, they're taking a, an assessment from their job. They're getting a quarterly review from their boss and they're documenting like, this is what we're seeing. This mm-hmm. is the action step we're giving you, the goal. And then as data is going, how would you then implement and, and marker that data? Yeah, so the example I used earlier, I would use a totally different example because there's multiple different ways of doing assessments. So have you ever heard of the, the Colby score? So when you get a chance, check it out. I think it costs like 50 bucks or 60 bucks to do it, but it gives you four numbers. Like my number is 2684. Each one of these numbers symbolizes something, right? So for me, the only thing I really care about is the the middle two numbers. The six tells me that I'm a quick starter. It means that if you put something in front of me, I'm going to just start. I'm not going to ask too many damn questions. I'm just going to work on it. And the second number is I execute. I'm going to make sure whatever I start, I finish. So for me, I'm looking for other people in that range. I'm always looking for high five or above in the second number or five and above in the third number spot. Now, the opposite, I would say, would be my wife. She is more high in the first spot and the last spot. She's more analytical. She wants data. She wants information. She wants verification versus I'm like, we'll verify as we process. Right? But the, that, the polar opposites work. Like if you don't know what your numbers are, if you don't know what your personality traits are, that's why you would look at relationships in the same way. You would, relationships will not work if you're not working with someone that's a polar opposite or on the same wavelength as you. Okay. And that's the same thing in the workplace. It's the same thing with business partners. If I go into a room and I'm seeing someone's body language and I'm trying to sell or promote them and I'm trying to figure out what numbers they fall into or what superhero they may be, by the end of that conversation, I know if I'm going to close that deal or not, if that makes sense. Uh, super fascinating. So we've talked a lot about implementing this into like business, but from a personal standpoint, as you've brought up your beautiful wife over there, do you utilize these in your personal life a lot? Like you talk about opposites attracting and how have you found success from that? I'm just saying that like systems work if you work the systems point blank period. So if going back into the whole like relationship between her and I, we use Match.com. Be harmony. Yeah. Well, 
the reality is... It, Details yeah. matter. Well, for me, it's more so the system. I don't like the de- the system, both of them using essentially an algorithm. And by using that algorithm, you're more of a higher percentage of making that work because you're telling it what you're looking for. She's telling it what it's looking for. And so the, the reality, the common denominator, if we line up, more than likely, it will work out. So if we decide to create a business and if we were in a relationship, it'll be the same principles. If we're the same person, we're going to bump heads and that business is not going to proceed. Someone is going to try to kill someone, literally. You want to think about it from that standpoint. If she's completely weak and I can dominate, then obviously then that's not going to work either. There needs to be push and pull. It needs to be back and forth. It needs to be a complete balance where I'm highly creative, she's highly analytical and vice versa. And I think if we would utilize these more in our society, we might have fewer reality shows like Snapped or Catfished. <laughs> yeah, but it, like the way I first thought about it with relationships is like anybody that's read the book, The Five Love Languages, right? Understanding how you receive love and how you show love and being able to show your partner the same courtesy because we don't all operate from the same standpoint. So that was like my easy go-to example for that. Well, think about that. That book is an assessment. Yeah. 100%. Absolutely. So love it. So then taking it to a step further with your kids, like you have one that just left for college. You have one that's in his senior year, I believe. So how as a parent, can you utilize assessments to set them up for success on their next journey? That shit is difficult. Because you have that a personal aspect to it. Like in corporate America, you hire could, a professional. You could shut it off. But yeah, to your point, probably bring in a third party unless you can get your kids to actually listen to you. But in the history of mankind, teenagers don't listen to their damn parents. So third party is the solution for that. But ideally, they'll come around. Six, seven years, eight, nine, maybe 10 years down the road. They'll come around. So hire a professional, guys. <laughs> My mom's not here, so she can't argue. I was amazing. She had no problems with me. I think she's lying. This may or may not be recorded. So I would really love to, on the the adverse side of things, assessments, obviously, I think we've showcased how they can be incredibly powerful, how utilizing them both in your personal life or professional life can really benefit you as long as once you get the information, you find ways to implement it, whatever that might be. And sometimes that does require you hiring a professional, right? And bringing in an expert. I think that's why there are so many consultants in the professional world because we don't all know how to do all the things. But if we can partner ourselves with the people that do, we can exponentially go further. And I think our lovely veteran over here could say that from the same side of the military, like running military ops and things like that, having a team that all has their skill set is really important. So when you execute, you can operate at the highest level. But I'm curious your opinion on can assessments be overutilized? Can it cut down on individuality? Can you get so pigeonholed in the nuances of this is my personality that you lose sight of just your uniqueness? That question is just like a bipolar question, right? It's kind of like saying... That's why it's for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like a question that hears its own voices. So... I want you to think about it in two standpoints, right? From a business standpoint, A-B testing on websites is a variation of what she's talking about. Your page B, your page A, 
and I'm sending traffic to both pages. And based upon what that page has, the, the, the comments, the colors, the images, people are going to then convert based upon what they are drawn to. So that's a version of assessments, right? On the other side, yes, if you overassess, potentially you can kind of lose people's personality to a certain extent. But ideally, if you're talking about business, that's the only thing that really matters, right? Can that person work with your other people? Like that's where you have companies' cultures. And if you're looking at company culture, you can go to the interview and you can be the best candidate. But if they assess your personality of not fitting into their company culture, they're not going to hire you. Yeah, I, I think that's super important. For somebody that operates on a very like high belief system and individuality being important, I think it's acknowledging the power and where you can utilize those things and allowing people to show up and be themselves within that constraint. And not every assessment is right for every industry either. And, and being able to recognize which are the right ones for what you're trying to achieve, whether it be personal or professional. So I would love, I have one last question before we turn it over to any Q&A you guys might have. Guys, obviously he's a wealth of knowledge. So if you have a question, let me know. I will run the mic over to you because we are um, videoing this. So I want to get you on the mic to say it and then he can answer your question for you. But make sure that these people know best ways to get a hold of you, what you do, how you can help serve all the things, anything you would like them to know you're working on. Now's your opportunity to share with the world. Ideally, the way I, I look at it is, is it's two different standpoints. You have digital agencies that help people build websites, that help you build a logo, that can help you with marketing, can help you with all these different things. And we fall into that one wheelhouse because I own an agency. But on the other side is more so telling the stories of entrepreneurs. And that's where my podcast comes into play, which is pretty much why I do what I do. And it's probably the best thing that I love doing. Everything else is just to pay the bills. So if you have an opportunity, I would definitely say scan the QR code, go to the podcast, listen to it, and try to learn from it. I've interviewed about 400 people at this point in time. She's one of them. This was not a shameless plug. Yeah. And just the way I do interviews is a little bit different because I really, like we had a conversation today where we had our 200 episode as far as airing it. And I was saying, I feel like a stalker because I'm not just going to talk about the superficial. I'm going to dive into your grandmother on your Facebook page from six years ago when you were in Hawaii right before she died. How did that affect your family being that you're doing business today? That's the level of the research that I really go into to kind of make sure that content is not any content that they're going to get anywhere else. Okay. So while you guys formulate a question, I have a curiosity now. Sorry, no, no, sorry. I, I sprung this on him. I, I was thinking prior to going to like move your daughter into her dorm, did you already envision what was about to happen? Did, could you have foreseen the circumstances. Like, so I don't know if any of you guys have ever lived in dorms. They're quite small. At least mine was. And yeah, she brought a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm trying not to throw her under the bus right now, but she's not. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, obviously you could visualize it and you deal with these kids every single day in and day out. So the, the irony was the first day we moved in, we got phone calls about her bitching and complaining about her roommates. And it was like, welcome to the real world. 
No, and I wasn't trying to throw it under the bus. I just wondered if you like as an analytical person, if you could assess ahead of time and being a parent, knowing that it's going to create friction, when do you choose to utilize the information and when do you choose to step back from it? Awesome. All right. Do we have any audience questions? I'll come over. So with the topic of assessments, from here, you guys, I was saying about myself, how do you think neurodivergence, so specifically with me, I have ADHD I'm, I'm, and I'm also autistic. So when I hear these assessments, I hear them through the lens of someone who's neurotypical of answering how a potential, like a potential neurotypical person would. So as someone who is neurodivergent, what are your thoughts on answering authentically and still being rather, I think for me, my authentic answers, I think, differ highly from a neurotypical person's answer. So have you dealt with someone who's neuro, neurodivergent in the realm of assessments? Like, what are, what are your thoughts on that? I talk to my voices every day. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I would just say, look at it from a standpoint that there's not a hindrance. You have superpowers. Okay. Like really and truly the way you analytically look at things Analytic. and perceive things, the average person cannot comprehend. Absolutely. So you have a complete unfair advantage. Complete. <laughs> so if you're dealing with a boss, then obviously then you should become a boss. That's the way I was. Okay. Awesome. Because that boss does not understand the level of what you're Assistance. doing inside your mind. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. I think that's actually a super good point is understanding like when these assessments bring back information that may or may not make you feel good about yourself. How can you internalize that and still say self-positive and, and focusing on the strengths and how you can use some of those areas of awareness to just further and better yourself? And I think that was a really great question and good point on your end. Any other thoughts, questions, concerns? I know somebody got something. I, I'd like to hear about the stroke. It's a good story. Mm. Like you want to hear the whole story? <laughs> I'm just trying to see how far back to go. 2018. That's when the stroke happened. The 18 years before that, it was pretty much working myself to death. I would work 21, 22 hours every day, all day. Because I had a full-time job, I had a business, I had primary full custody of my son, and I jumped between opportunity after opportunity after opportunity all at the same time, while also helping my son with his homework, playing basketball, and coaching his football teams. So it just added up to where mentally I was equipped for it, but physically the reality check kicked in. Um, that's when I met her, and we had an opportunity no, 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 the, the stroke, the stroke was a well on its way because that happened the first year we met. And I think at the time I was trying to teach my son, like how to start like a random business from scratch and named it after him. And it was like making like refurbished furniture or whatever. And, and this is everything else I was doing. Like I hear voices, obviously. And I think we had built a wall, like a, a wooden wall that day because we had got a storefront and we were putting it, putting the items in the storefront. And it was a Sunday. Everything went fine. Put the wall up. Took my son to his grandparents' house. She went home and I was like, I'm just going to go to her house and crash. Got to her apartment at the time. Got out the car. Walked into the gym on the way up inside the apartment. And I felt weird. Like, really bizarre. I started getting overheated. Started sweating profusely. 
And I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? So I went to the bathroom and it got to the point to where I was so hot that I got in the shower in the bathroom with all my clothes on. And that still didn't cool me down. And then I was like, okay. At the time, I didn't realize I had lost the ability to speak at that time because there was nobody there for me to speak to. So it was late at night. And I just came out the bathroom and walking down the hallway and my right side of my body gave out and I fell. And I was just like, this is fucking interesting. Okay, what's next? So I pulled myself up, worked my way to the elevator, went up to the, what was it, fourth floor, fifth floor, whatever. And then she lived in this apartment building that the hallway was like three football fields long. It was utterly ridiculous. Like it was like time traveling down this fucking hallway. And I started walking down the hallway, bumping on doors all the way down, got to her, her door, got my key. And I didn't realize that my right side of my body had went. That's why I felt. And my right hand was like flailing and I couldn't get the key in the door. So she probably thought it was Freddy Cougar scratching on her door. She opens the door and I pretty much just fall in. And that's the first time that I started realizing that I had no speech. And I was like, I'm hot. I just want to get in the shower. So I go to the bathroom, turn on the water. And she's like, what the hell's going on? And I looked at her and I, I mustered up enough to say no. And she saw my face and everything was drooped. That's what she called the ambulance. The ambulance came. And I'm the way I'm looking at you guys right now, the way I was looking at the ambulance guys, like, well, I'm still standing, fuckers. Like, I'm, what's the problem? And then I went in the ambulance. Five minutes later, I was out. I woke up. And then that's when I realized, like, the whole thing you hear about the white lights. It's the white lights of the medical white lights. It is not the heavenly white lights. It is the white lights of the surgery. And I guess they dialed it in a little bit and put my ass back to sleep. And then I woke up the next day in the hospital and she was there. My parents were there and my son was there. And I was like, well, I'm still fucking here. What's next? And I didn't realize the extent of it at that point in time. I just felt like, okay, I had a stroke. Big deal. Well, I'm still here. And then I realized that my speech was a lot slower. I realized that I couldn't use my right hand. I couldn't barely walk on my right hand side. So we devised a plan for, that was Monday morning. Yeah. And I was like, by Friday, fuck this, I'm leaving. So by Friday, I was walking, I was talking, and we fucking left. And, but I didn't realize the side effects after that. Like you have to go through like the swelling of your brain coming down, complete depression. So that essentially that took about 18 months for me to kind of make that full recovery and become who I am right now. Will you repeat the question? Because she wasn't on the mic. So will you repeat it before you answer it, please? So she's talking about like, how did I even become like a podcaster? How did I even get in front of the camera? And it was like, dialing into that conversation like post-stroke we sat down and we had the conversation and, and and to her credit and the reason why we officially got married was she was like well you've been branding other companies for the past 18 years why don't you brand yourself for once and i was like damn that was good it made perfect sense so then I, I took it on as a challenge. So the next 18 months, I was working on it. And then when it came to the point to kind of figure out what to do next, it was like, am I going to be a podcaster or am I going to become a YouTuber? Because it was at the dawn of where like everything is hitting right now, obviously, right? But I was trying to figure out, I'm the guy behind the curtain. I never wanted to be in front of the camera. So I picked a podcaster. Now I do all of them. But in reality, back then, I became a podcaster in February of 2020 was our first episode. And then until now is history. So right now, just to give you where the podcast is in general, we are at episode 200. We've recorded 400 episodes. We have about 300,000 downloads and we're ranked 0.5 globally. 
right now. Sweet. Got another question over here. Hi. So for those who don't notice, SA has amazing gift in brand and marketing. Mm. And I'd like to know, when you created the logos we're looking at, how did you do it? Were you trying to think about what would bring you joy wearing it every day? Or is it something for the audience? And if we can all learn here, when we're trying to create logos, is it something that's more important to us? Or is it more important to how we make money? Okay, Hildy, I'll see you. I'll see you. Great question. So Queen the swag. dawn of this logo, believe it or not, came into fruition six years before Boston Cage even existed. It was a logo that I made that was on a back burner when I was at a, um, some co-working space and I'm working and I'm looking at the board and it just so happened to have four arrows, red arrows and a circle and they were far apart on the board. And I was just like, and I pulled them together. And I took a snapshot picture of it and I held that picture from that point until I actually needed to use that logo. So in reality, when I created the company Boston Cage, I was like, okay, I need something that's symbolic, that's iconic, not to necessarily compete with Nike, but what does that represent? So the four arrows are like the internal, like what you're dealing with internally. But at the same time is if you're a client, like that's the person, that's the focal point, right? And then the top part, if you look at it, it looks like a person at times, right? So there's multiple different things that you want someone to tell you the story of your brand versus you telling them the story of the brand. Let them identify with it. Let them see the person. Let them see the four arrows. Let them see whatever they want to see. And whatever they see, it's right. Can you break down the boss uncaged situation? Yeah. So boss uncaged from a brand standpoint, if you think about branding, if you can keep the name of your company within the total digit number of a phone number. And I know you're like, what the fuck is he talking about? But if you look at it as, as a phone number, like 1-718-222-4444, I could totally represent my brand in a phone number, but ideally the human brain is capable of memorizing a phone number. Even though in today's world we don't. So I made sure that my name of the podcast, the name of my brand fell in line with the character count of a phone number. So visually, when you see it, it's easy for you to remember the spelling. And I also use phonetically easy words. Boss, a three-year-old should be able to spell that. Uncage, maybe a six or seven-year-old should be able to, to, to spell that. The combination of the both makes it really easy and is also as short as a phone number. It's a hybrid. It's a hybrid. You have to think about it from a standpoint of... If you're planning on selling the company, you, sh you should give two shits what it looks like. If that's what you're going into that situation as a business person to say, hey, I'm growing this company to 5 million and I want to sell it an evaluation in the next five years, you don't care what the logo looks like. The logo should look like whatever the clients resonate with. But if you're trying to build a legacy and you're planning on holding on to that corporation for a long period of time, you should have some kind of personal attachment to it, but don't hold on to it to where if somebody comes to you with a hundred thousand or a hundred million dollars, you're not going to be willing to sell. Any other questions? Going once, going twice. I think this is just a great wrap up in understanding, like clearly we are using assessments. We are assessing information all day, every day in our professional lives and our personal lives. 
and being able to extrapolate from those assessment what's valuable, what to take action on, what to implement, and then to what to leave behind. Not all of it's valuable to you in your current moment. So figure out what you need to serve where you're going and and implement strategies, set up systems to document so you can create goal systems and see actually what's happening. And I think that's the way any of our businesses need to operate. Any final thoughts from you? Yeah, just based on what you said, if anyone has a company and you have a website, and I just want you to think about if you own a website for your company right now, if you do not see some data intake the second you land on your page, you're doing something wrong. Your website is only there as a lead magnet. It's not there to showcase animation. It's not there to showcase videos. It's there to at least get data from someone to then convert to a sale or at least guide them in education to then lead them to a sale or at least point them in the right direction to lead them to a sale. So the reality is if you have random shit at the top of your website and if I go to your website and I don't, I can't give you my email address or I can't make a purchase in two clicks or less, you fucked up. If I'm blocked. He can, he can help you if that's not your situation. That, that's where we're taking away from that. <laughs> Guys, you have been fabulous. Thank you again for being here, for bringing all the great questions. As mentioned, I do a free workshop it's Monday, second Monday of every month. Stay tuned for that. I think it's September 11th this coming month. We'll be continuing down the confidence journey, moving right on into self-image. So you or someone you know can benefit from conversations and topics around building intentional self-image. Please come join the fun and I will share all the details um, moving forward. So last thoughts from you and we'll wrap. Good, we're good. Make sure to order another drink. Stay chit-chat for as long as you'd like. Take care of our fabulous bartender over there. Big, huge thank you to Six Bridges Brewing again for having us. And thank you to each and every one of you. And I guess we'll thank Zach. But definitely the veterans and ATL vets. So you guys have a great night. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Tactical Leader Podcast. If this episode helped you along your journey of self-mastery and has inspired you to do more, I challenge you to head over to myvoicechallenge.com so you can find out how you can discover your voice, claim your independence, and build that thriving business that you've always wanted. Again, that's myvoicechallenge.com.